You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! All the haters out there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we've made it to the middle of another week. We've made it to the turn the page day. We'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel and quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. We'll look around the web and see what folks are saying and do our regular Wednesday thing with the five big picture items I think about this football team from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Always love this episode of the pod, taking a big picture, step back, look at the team and the perspective of offense, defense, special teams, and the collection of the entire team nine weeks into the season now. And we do that with five things, I think. And the first thing I think on this Wednesday, November the 9th, is that the offense's point production is catching up to what the yards they've gained all year would suggest they have. And let me go ahead and put my Brian Windhorst hat on here. Why is that? First, the reason I wanted to get to this was because just two weeks ago, after the Steelers game, you know, where we went up and down the field but managed just 16 points on a day where it felt like the offense was really clicking but just got in its own way a couple of times, I wanted to look back at the last two games here for this Dolphins offense. And if you look at the red zone conversion percentage, nine drives, seven touchdowns. That's 77.8% conversion rate in the red zone. It is difficult to beat teams for the opposition's sake when you're allowing touchdowns seven out of nine drives into the red zone. You're not going to win many games doing that. And also on third down for the Dolphins, 13 of 22 on third downs in those two games. That's just a smidge below 60%. So two very, very efficient numbers in two of the most critical areas you're going to see in terms of a box score, in terms of a stat count for a football game and a football team. And so, you know, the Dolphins' point production and really just general offensive production has caught up to what that yards per play metric would suggest that we talked about a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast. They are 10th in the NFL right now in points per game at 23.7. They are second in the NFL. How does that feel, Dolphins fans? You have the second best passing game right now in terms of yards per game. And I would argue it could be probably better than that. You know, if a certain player was here every single week at 293.6 yards per game, second best passing attack in the NFL by that metric. Rushing 86.9 yards per game is 29th in the NFL. We'll get to that here in a second. Third down, we talked about being 60% the last two weeks on the season, 41.3% tied for 14th. Also going to get back to that stat here in a second. On the year in the red zone, 69%. Nice. That is sixth best in the NFL, and they're 6.3 yards per play. Our second. So think about that. Yards per play is one of the most important stats in football. Second points, they are 10th. Red zone, they are 6th. And third down, they're tied for 14th, which I'll tell you why that's going to get even better here in just a second. But the running part of that stands out a bit, right? The third downs too, obviously, which I thought was strange given Tua's record-setting pace on third down passing this year. But also, 
only one team who has played nine games. Most teams in the league have played eight games right now. We're one of the few teams that haven't had their bye yet. But most teams have played nine games, and only one team that has played nine games has ran fewer plays on third down than us. The Falcons have 100 third down plays. The Dolphins have 104. And no team has more yards per play, first downs, or a higher passer rating this year than the Miami Dolphins. So we're getting to third down at one of the lowest rates, but then executing them at one of the most efficient rates in these last few games. Uh, As far as third downs per game, the Dolphins have 11.55. That's tied with Buffalo, who have the fewest third down attempts this season from a volume standpoint. So the Dolphins, on a per-game basis, have faced the second fewest third downs in the National Football League, or tied for it. That's why you look at 14th in the league and say, well, yeah, they're scoring points because they are as explosive as anybody on the early downs, and then they're highly efficient on the money down, not to mention the big plays we're getting on third down. You know, third and sixth, 39 yards to Tyreek Hill. Uh, Third down, you throw a 29-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Waddell. It's been that way all year long. Third and 22, you get 45 yards to Waddell to basically beat Buffalo. As for the running aspect of that, I think it's akin to what we talked about with the yards per play and how it tends to play out that the points will catch up to the stat, but more so the eye test of just saying, hey, this looks like more than a 21-point-per-game offense, doesn't it? So from average yards per rush last four games, and this removes uh, victory formation kneel downs at the end of the game. I did not go back and look at halftime, but I think there might be a couple in there. But it's pretty, pretty. Uh, it plays out pretty much the same. So the last six-game rushing totals where you subtract seven kneel downs for negative seven yards. Uh, 23 for 77, 26 for 107, 27 for 111, 20 for 73, 26 for 137, and 22 for 85. So for total, that's 137 rushes for 597 yards, which is 4.4 yards per carry. So I think you're getting plenty out of the run game since, you know, a bit of a slow start to the season in that category. But even still, those first three games, you know, and going back to the number of third downs that we haven't had this year, in two of those games, the Baltimore and the Buffalo game, you're chasing points really all the way until into the fourth quarter and for Baltimore up until the last play of the game, really. And we did get some success back in that week one game over the Patriots with fourth quarter running the football. And I want to hammer home the point that it's really providing a great balance and complement to the passing game. The ability to get to 4.4 yards a clip is more than adequate enough in terms of capitalizing on what this defense does best, which is makes a lot of the variety of the playbook look the exact same. Like It's like, again, back to my baseball references, Felix Hernandez was the best right-handed pitcher in the league for like 10 years because his 94-mile-an-hour fastball looked identical to his 85-mile-an-hour changeup, and that nine mile an hour difference in speed was impossible for hitters to gauge especially when the changeup just fell off the plate so that gives the same idea right we're going to run this play from this formation and this play from this formation one is a run one is a pass one capitalizes on this conflict defender the next one will take him and put him in a different position of conflict it creates some hesitation in that second level and exploits any modicum of a false step that you might take and i mean just look at the flow of these games they haven't exactly been you know, again, conducive to a run-heavy attack. When you need 30 points to win a game, you tend to see the rush attempts go down a little bit, and that's been the case in four of these six games. You needed 30 points to beat the Bengals. You needed more than 40 points to beat the Jets. You needed 30 points to beat Detroit and Chicago. So kind of harkens back to that. And then I want to go ahead and look at the stat that I'm sure everybody wanted to hear here uh, with and without Tua. So with Tua, again, this is a fun element where 
my hypothesis did not play out the way I thought it would, but I eventually got to a different point that helped carry the point in general. But with Tua in the red zone, 21 drives, 15 touchdowns. That is 71.4% touchdown conversion rate in the red zone. 15 of 56 drives got to the red zone. That's 28% of your drives under Tua. Without Tua, eight drives, five touchdowns. That's a 62% red zone conversion rate. So just a 9.4 or 9.6 drop off there uh, percentage points in red zone execution without Tua. And then also drives get into the red zone, eight of 37 is 21.6%. So only, again, less than 7% drop off there. So my hypothesis was that the red zone execution and getting to the red zone is going to be a lot higher. It's not, but here's where it is. How about third downs? With Tua, 33 of 69, that's 47.8%. Without Tua, 10 of 35, 28%. So yeah, that's the rub. And then your points per game with Tua, 25.7. Without Tua, 16.5. Pretty big deal there. My second thing that I think, how about a round of applause for Mike McDaniel, Frank Smith, and Matt Applebaum, and really anyone that has any involvement in the running game coordination uh, that puts puts their part into the game plan, which I'm sure includes Eric Sudisville as well and, and different offensive staff members that I did not include here. But those three guys, you know, run game coordinator, offensive coordinator, uh, and obviously what Mike has done, and then your offensive line coach. We do the film review portion on the podcast every Tuesday, and you guys hear my excitement about the run game in general, the design of the offense in general, I should say. And I would hate being a linebacker preparing for this offense because there's just so much going on. Again, mentioned it in the first takeaway. So many false keys and things that are designed to get you taking false steps. And if you get it wrong, you then are flat-footed against somebody like Alec Ingold, who's coming downhill, ready to put a hit right in your chops. And in fact, Sean Payton, and I'm going to lift this from the Around the Web portion I was going to do later on, he did call in Cowherd on Monday. I know, shame on me for watching that show, but I'm not going to promote it on social. He said that when he was in New Orleans, every week they would have two or three other offenses around the NFL that they would study and try to get ideas from. He said on the show that if he were still coaching right now, the Dolphins would be on that list of teams to cut up every single week, regardless if they're your opponent or not. They want to get an idea for what other offenses do, for creativity and things to take away from them. He said the Dolphins would be in that list for him uh, as a head coach. And obviously, Sean Payton's one of the greatest offensive minds this league has ever seen. So pretty high praise. And we don't have to deep dive this, but <clears throat> a lot of it for me starts with Alec Ingold, who does just so much in all aspects of the game. He'll align in a nasty split, which, as you know by now, if you're a fan of the podcast, means you're in tight to the formation, up against the tackle tight end area, close to the quarterback, and then chip the edge from that spot. He'll come across the formation and split flow action and get that last chance block before Tua gets hit to afford him the extra, you know, three-tenths of a second to deliver one of the strikes that he's thrown all year. He'll lead, you know, a, a running back on the outside toss or in the screen game, in the swing game. He just does so much. Then you look at the offensive line. There were so many reps where the use of the running game, and this ties into thing, I think, number one, where the function of play action, the full line slide, you've already just essentially manufactured a pocket for Tua where he can turn his back to the defense on play action, get to his drop, get his head back around, and has room to survey, process, hitch up, and there's nobody even close to him. It has to be so comforting as a quarterback to know you have those reps baked into the game plan. I think it all ties together with the run game, working off the pass game, and vice versa, and with Alec Ingold being a big part of that takes us into our third thing, I think, here on this Wednesday heading into week number 10. Is speaking of Alec Ingold, this team has stars everywhere, 
but we are winning in fine margins thanks to some slightly unsung heroes. We mentioned Ingold, just does so much for the offense. Trent Sherfield, you know he's only he's only had one target this year that he didn't catch. I think it's 14 out of 15. I mentioned those swings and tosses on outside runs. Watch Trent Sherfield bust his ass to not just get wide of the defensive formation and like, you know, be a guy that gets in the way. He gets out wide, puts his foot in the ground, and then changes his momentum and leverage going back against the flow of the play to make sure he doesn't just get in the way, but lays an effective seal block. It's awesome. One of my favorite things to watch each and every week here on the Drive Time Podcast. Uh, Duke Riley, special teams tackles, his speed to the perimeter, his ability to spy quarterbacks. He's playing well in coverage, and he can give you the occasional rush too. The rest of our guys are primarily here on this list, special teams contributors. Andrew Van Ginkle, the 25-yard scoop and score last week, a franchise record off the punt block. He makes a couple of plays on teams every week, it seems. And then his efficiency on defense has been really good too. Not as many snaps this year, but as he's working back from that appendectomy from the end of camp, he's given you a lot of good quality reps on defense as well. Justin Bethel, what he did in a pinch at corner when we were so thin cannot be overstated. Not sure we win that Pittsburgh game without the effort that he gave on defense that day. And then he seems to have a big special teams play every week, either making a tackle or downing a punt inside the 10-yard line. And on that topic, Thomas Morstead has just been aces. We never really punt from in our own end, and that's a credit to the offense for not having many three and outs. Uh, but he does hit 45.2% of his punts downed inside the 20-yard line. That is the sixth best rate in the NFL, and his 16.1% pinned inside the 10-yard line rate is eighth best in the NFL. So there you go. Unsung Heroes is my third thing, I think, this week. Let's take our first break and come back and do the things I think four through five. That's next. We'll also look around the web coming up here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. It's a Wednesday here on Browns week, nine games in the books. We are halfway home this week to game number 10. Goes by faster every year, doesn't it? Thing I think number four is I cannot remember the last time we had this many, you know, air quotes, players in the trenches producing at this level. An update on ESPN's run block, uh, run block, run stop, win rate, pass rush, and pass block win rates. I wrote that down in a way that I thought made sense in my head, but I read it back and it doesn't make any sense, but basically run run defense and pass defense in the trenches. So on the individual portion, among defensive ends and outside linebackers, Bradley Chubb is third with his 27% pressure rate. As far as the run defense goes at that position group, Jalen Phillips is tied for seventh at 31% run stop win rate. At defensive tackle, Christian Wilkins is sixth in pass rush at 16%, and he's also second in run stop win rate at 48%. On the offensive line, Teron Armstead's tied for 10th at 93% pass block win rate among all tackles. Among the offensive guards and run block win win rate, Rob Hunt is tied for 8th at 94%. As far as centers go, 
Connor Williams in run block win rate is tied for fourth at 74%. So Chubb, Phillips, Wilkins, Teron, Rob, and Connor. And then also I know that Zach Sealer is right on the fringe of that uh, in terms of run stop win rate. As a team, pass rush win rate sixth at 49% and seventh in run stop win rate at 32%. Offensively, I think it's 21st and 27th. So uh, yeah, it's been better on, on the defensive side in terms of pressures and run stops uh, from a team perspective than it has been on the offensive side. The fifth thing I think, or the fifth big picture takeaway, is that I just wanted to give you further Tua perspective and has work on third down. Just looking at some Tua stuff because we've not seen a run like this at the quarterback position for the Dolphins since 1984. I mean, that's basically what it goes back to. I thought this was really cool as well. C.K. Parrott on Twitter, Chris Kaufman, uh, did the research here. Tua is 21 of 25 with 202 passing yards, two touchdowns, and no picks when targeting wide receivers not named Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell. It's a 127 passer rating. It's better better than his rating with those guys. Uh, Tua is also 42 of 63 for 358 yards and two touchdowns and no picks when he's throwing to backs and tight ends. That's a passer rating of 102.5. And throwing to players, not just wide receivers, players other than 10 and 17, a 111.4 passer rating. Pretty incredible. On third down this year, how about 42 of 57? That's a 73.7% clip for 601 yards. That's 10.5 yards per pass, eight touchdowns, and a 147 passer rating for Tua. On 20-yard throws this year, 64.3% completion with a 117.6 passer rating. That's first and second in the NFL, and he has 18 completions of 20 or more yards, which is the most in the NFL, which is so funny because last year... He was, from an efficiency standpoint, one of the most accurate downfield deep ball throwers, but everybody had to say, but I'm not buying it because of sample size. Well, now he leads the league in that stat, so shut up. Uh, Did you know the last time a Dolphins quarterback led the league in passer rating was 1984? That's wild to me. Tua doing it through nine games, eight more to go, of course, but did you also know that the only quarterbacks with a higher passer rating for a season than Tua's 115.9? was Aaron Rodgers in 2020, Ryan Tannehill in 2019, Matt Ryan in 2016, Nick Foles in 2013, Aaron Rodgers in 2011, Tom Brady in 2007, and Peyton Manning in 2004. That is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's the eighth best single season passer rating of all time at this stage. And of those names, two guys didn't play the entire year, which two will not have played the entire year, having missed those two and a half games. But Tannehill and Foles in 2019 and 2013 didn't play the whole year. But the other guys, the Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning, they all won the MVP. Just think about that. Unreal. Let's go ahead and look around the web here real quick. I moved the Sean Payton on Cowherd segment up to the big picture thoughts. want to go ahead and read this from Peter King's Week 9 Football Morning in America. So this segment that I do on Wednesdays is something of a cheap ripoff of Peter King's weekly column. And a fun fact, I had a sports marketing class back in uh, my sophomore year of high school that was basically all the athletes at the school and our favorite teacher doing cool projects that were related to sports. Like one was, you know, we drafted a fantasy baseball league and then you had to actually like run the baseball team from a tickets and concessions and you know, promotions and all that type of stuff. And one time he showed us for, for some reason, I don't know why the longest yard, the Adam Sandler remake during class. 
And when they panned to the press box in one of the scenes, the teacher, Mr. Judy, uh, offered extra credit points if anybody could name the sports writer who had the one line in the movie, which was, not bad, crew, not bad. And it was Peter King, and I got those extra credit points because he was my favorite writer. So that's why I'm telling you about that, because in his five things he thinks this week, he mentioned the trade deadline and gave us this blurb. Since spring 2020, Miami general manager Chris Greer has traded six first-round picks, traded away four, or, yeah, traded away four, and used first-rounders to either draft or acquire Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, and Bradley Chubb. That's one heck of a job, but Miami signing Chubb 26 to a multi-year deal gives Miami another piece to its defensive front. What I also like for the Dolphins is despite being docked one first-round draft pick, Chris Greer retains three picks in the top three rounds of the 2023 draft, a second and two thirds. Well done, Chris Greer. King also gave Phillips, Jalen Phillips, his special teams player of the week award after blocking that punt. One of just four blocked punts in the NFL this season. He also shouts out Andrew Van Ginkle in the blurb. I'm not going to play it here, but Brian Baldinger had three breakdowns of our game, two on the offense, one of the punt block. Really cool stuff where he breaks down the offense with Tyreek, Jalen and Tua, and then of course Phillips and Van Ginkle on the punt block. A couple more things here. How about some mid-season power rankings? NFL.com has us at 12th, but that guy is a diehard Jets fan who has the Jets ahead of us, which I don't know why, but that's what we're doing. ESPN has us at 6th. CBS Sports has us at 6th. Yahoo has us at 7th. And Pro Football Talk has us at 9th. I want to go ahead and do this before our last break. Mid-season awards for the Dolphins. My MVP is Tua Tungavailoa. My Offensive Player of the Year is Tyreek Hill. My Defensive Player of the Year is Jalen Phillips. My Rookie of the Year is Cater Kohu. My Comeback Player is Raheem Moster. And my Coach of the Year on the staff is Wes Welker. Receivers room is getting it done. In my opinion, this team right now has two first-team All-Pros halfway through the year, Connor Williams and Tyreek Hill. In my opinion, they have uh, three second-team All-Pros. And go talk to a... Uh, wall about one of these guys in here, Teron Armstead, Jalen Waddle, and Tua Tungavailoa. I would take Jalen Hurts as the QB one on, <clears throat> in terms of uh, for all, all pro teams, and I would say Tua as the second team quarterback. Uh, the way the year's going so far in the Pro Bowl, I would put Phillips, Wilkins, and Holland, and of course the other guys ahead of that. So that would give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Pro Bowlers, and we'll also see where Bradley Chubb winds up. If you're going off the Denver stuff, he's easily a Pro Bowler and maybe arguably in the all-pro teams as well. So that would give you nine total. Could be a fun year for the Dolphins in the Pro Bowl. Are they playing it this year? I can't even remember. As for the league, my MVP is Jalen Hurts and then Tua. I'll probably go Hurts first just because the rushing element of the game that he adds. Uh, Offensive player of the year is Tyreek Hill. Defensive player of the year for me is Micah Parsons. My offensive rookie is Damian Pierce. The defensive rookie is Sauce Gardner. Comeback is tough. I want to give it to Geno, but I think if you're not – you know, Gino didn't have an injury, so I'm going to give it to Saquon Barkley. And then my coach of the year is Robert Sala. He, he edged out Nick Sirianni after that win over the Buffalo Bills. And my executive of the year would be Chris Greer. So there you go. That is segment number two here. We're going to come back on the other side of the break and hear from Mike McDaniel and Tua Tungavailoa in their Wednesday media availability. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. 
All right, so I lied in the previous segment saying we're going to have Tua Tungavailoa audio. It's going to be a late press conference on Wednesday. Wanted to get the podcast out to you guys as fast as we possibly could. So we're going to have just head coach Mike McDaniel's Wednesday news conference. We'll talk about Tua's on the Thursday preview show. But if you want to see the entirety of Tua Tungavailoa's press conference, go ahead and head over to the team YouTube channel and you can find it in its entirety up there. Let's go ahead and stop by Mike McDaniel's Wednesday news conference. He was asked about Byron Jones and basically gave us the same update we've been getting all year long, but he did say that they are not bowing out of the possibility that he could return this season. I want to first play these couple of clips for you about Tyreek Hill. Coach was asked about an on-field moment and an off-field moment where they realized this offseason, this dude's different. I'm going to go ahead and play him in succession for you here, but I really want to focus on the recall of Coach. I remember the name Leonard Hankerson because I am obsessed with football and that's all I do all day long. But did you remember that name? Did you know about a 2013 route that he ran that was against the specific San Diego Chargers that coach is talking about here? This recall is incredible. And then also the response that Tyreek had to coaches kind of ribbing of his top speed in terms of the GPS tracking at practice about Keon Crossan and Braylon Sanders having the better times over Tyreek in the first part of OTAs and how Tyreek responded to that. I'm just going to go ahead and play it for you guys here because it blew me away. This is awesome stuff here from coach about Tyreek Hill's on-field moment and off-field moment where they realized this dude is different. You know, there was, okay, I got it. There is a particular route um, that you know, I think we, we came up with um, in 2013, trivia fact, was Leonard Hankerson against the Chargers. Um, that's a deeper outbreaking route. Uh, that um, not all that many people can run because the timing of the play and to push it that deep, um, you don't always have protection for it. So I've been running that. It kind of, um, kind of got steam and r- ran at the most when we had Julio Jones um, who was unbelievable at the route and then seeing Tyreek in I think it was probably OTA 4 if my training camp install schedule is correct in my brain um, when he ran that um, I just had a lot of deliberate reps at viewing that ran at an exceptional um, uh uh, speed, depth, intent, and it was like, whoa. I've been fortunate to be around Andre Johnson in his prime, um, uh, Julio Jones in his prime, Josh Gordon, um, you know, Pierre Garçon, uh, leading league in receiving, all of these great, great players, and he is different, and we, we knew then um, – in, in OTAs that yeah this is a this is a different deal and the off field part um the first time I uh, took the trust fall and called him out in a team meeting I think um and it wasn't a call out. I guess I d- I shouldn't really say call out because it's not it's more um, in team meetings I think it's very important to uh, state the facts and the facts are what's on tape so anything that's on tape we should be able to discuss openly and there was something that he didn't do I can't remember what it was but I vividly remember his response that day um, uh, was corrected and then 
so I kind of made note of that two days later. Um, you know, I was, I was at the beginning of team meetings and training camp. We were showing uh, um, the fastest GPSs of the practice the previous day. Um, and there was he, was, he was fifth that day. And so I made a big deal about, I went over the top and said something like, uh, dude, congratulations, you've been working hard, this is great achievement. Um, and then once, I, I think uh, Keon Crossan was the fastest that day, so I just was like, no, actually it was Braylon Sanders at the time. Um, whoever it was, I was like, man, you're the fastest guy in the Dolphins. This is awesome. This is in front of the whole team. And uh, then that practice, he, um, he ran the fastest ever recorded in practice here or that I've seen. It was like tw- something absurd, like 23.48 or something. Like, so I was like, okay, yeah, you're different. Okay, so uh, the, on the field, off the field, um, it's not a happenstance that he's able to have success. I mean, how cool is that? Kawa, man. Coach's answer was awesome. Up next, he was asked a question that I asked a couple weeks ago, and he kind of gave us more in-depth on it here. And the part that I liked about it the most was referencing certain coaches and their expertises in this area, particularly Frank Smith, who, if you guys listen to the Thursday, or I should say the Friday edition of Drive Time, we pump out (laughs) these incredible Q&As every week with Josh Boyer, Frank Smith, the entire coaching staff. But Frank Smith is new this year, so I didn't get a chance to know him before this year. But I just love hearing him talk. So hearing Coach talk about his experience. And also, how about the fact that I wrote this podcast script before we had Coach on Wednesday and that reference I had earlier about the running game with Frank Smith, Matt Applebaum, and the entire coaching staff with Mike McDaniel, how they've kind of cultivated this successful group up front. Pretty cool to have it carry over with a question that I didn't even ask in the press conference on the same day. Here's Coach talking about the growth along the offensive line. It's the, it's the least appealing, most real answer that exists, and it's like the down-to-the-bones, deliberate work and intent on um, defensive-specific techniques and how we execute our fundamentals and details um the uh it's one of my um you know favorite parts of the whole coaching staff is that uh the uh, my offensive coordinator frank smith has deep um o-line coaching roots was a center himself um and i think he spearheaded spear spearheaded that charge and really led in a moment that um you know, there was, there was a young group that was a little uncertain of themselves. Um, that along with Matt Applebaum and um, Lem and Mike Person, you know, it's, there's no quick and easy way to have success in the National Football League. That's why I like the game so much is because when you see success um, or improvement, I should say, more than anything, um, you, you – People are too talented and people work too hard. There's, there's no shortcut around it. It is just uh, they, they're sweating after practice for, you know, practice ends. Um, I try to give the players a nice uh, schedule that they can get out of the building. Um, but the linemen don't, aren't afforded that because they are out there working um, after practice. And uh, it's to all their credit um, collectively. Um, and then 
you know, everybody else getting used to it. Uh, You're starting to see the skill position players be a little more productive in their areas. The running backs um, uh, running in space better. It's a trickle-down effect that they can really dictate. Got a really good Q&A from Coach regarding Joe Woods, Browns defensive coordinator. We're going to save that for tomorrow's podcast on the game preview. Hey, my computer booted up. Uh, But this last one here from Coach was asked about the small details between winning and losing close games as the Browns have struggled in that department and the Dolphins are 5-1 and one in one-score games this season. Here's Coach on the fine margins and how the Browns are not to be taken lightly because they are a team that is rallying together and will give you a tough football game each and every Sunday. The, you know, it, it, that's the part of football that you don't necessarily, you're, you're hitting on the part that isn't necessarily on the stat sheet. Which is which is the cool part. Um, there's you you find that teams kind of um, it kind of snowballs for for teams where you can be in tight games consecutively, and um, you can find yourself with the same result until you get yourself out of it. Either way, um, but that I think being involved in those games gives you a competitive advantage moving forward when you're able to gain, when you're able to learn from them. So teams that are learning from them, whether it's high, low, whatever, during, at the end of the season, they end up winning more than they lose of those, in my opinion. I think those, because it's hard, it's, you, you want, you do all, I mean, just think about it. You're, we're starting on, coaches start on Monday, um, Players come in on Wednesday. We're grinding on this one objective all week that has all sorts of variables, countless number of variables um, uh, that you're learning, that you're trying to master. Uh, then you go to this huge buildup of this competitive game that everyone is watching and being able to um, critique. And then just finality, one final result. When teams aren't of the right mindset, they want to point fingers. Or you learn how to not point fingers. That's something that um, I've been on teams that it happens a ton. Um, just by the tape, you know, I, I wouldn't dare to speak on the Cleveland Browns. It, it looks like it doesn't look like they're doing that at all. So it looks like they're in the process of the same process a lot of teams are, and we are, where, okay, it's a close game, it's okay. I don't, the finality of that whole work week, you don't need to think about that. Just worry about your individual job, and collectively, the more people that do that end up finding a way. Because um, the biggest mistake is when people get in, in tight situations, tight games, and they start thinking that they need to do it themselves. And... Um, that's something that you have to learn through trial and error um, and something hopefully um, we have learned from in our close games, but that doesn't guarantee anything. We could very well um, buck the trend this week. Um, hopefully you didn't jinx us. Each week, I enjoy these press conferences more and more. Again, check out Tua Tungavailoa's press conference on the YouTube channel. By the time you hear this podcast, he might have already spoken. If not, it's coming up around 3 or 3.30 
uh, on this Wednesday afternoon. All right, that's my time today. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. We have the Twitter Spaces show tonight with me, Seth, and Juice. 8 o'clock talking all things Dolphins and Browns, Dolphins and Bears from the previous week. Get your questions in for us tonight, 8 o'clock on Twitter. Also, the Fish Tank podcast, the post-game show on 560 WQAM, the international podcast here on the network, and, of course, the YouTube channel with the media availabilities with Dolphins today with some drive time and Fish Tank content. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy's driving through a hurricane to get home. <laughs>